there's so many different lessons, but you know, the biggest one is building process. The foundation is so important. You know, when you're a small company, you think, oh, mission, I don't need that vision. I don't need this. I don't need the, you know, the values. I don't need yeah. this. I don't need all this infrastructure. Well, you don't when it's just you, you know, but when you're trying to duplicate a process and you're trying to scale a big company, process is everything. If you don't have process, you're dead. Well, I'm excited. Welcome to the show, Chase Harmer of Profit Pay and Wishes. How are we doing today, brother? Doing well, man. Thanks uh, for having me. I'm just excited to be here. So you and I have been kind of conversing a little bit on um, your entrepreneurial journey, and you have had a pretty epic one, in in my opinion, in terms of what you've built. Obviously, you talked about you know a lot of majestic failures along the way, but also unlocked some pretty massive successes. Yeah, it's always fun to deconstruct, you know, from outside looking in and then obviously hearing your different perspectives of, um, you know, what worked well and, and what you would do differently. Where did your entrepreneurial journey start? Yeah. So, um, I got a track scholarship to Cal Poly and I hurt my knee. So I ended up dropping out and then I had to figure out what I was going to do. Um, and I started a business at 19. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but, uh, you know, certainly, I had the hustle and the drive. So I was knocking on doors, trying to make sales. And, you know, that turned into big business. Um, so I didn't really have a plan per se. Um, and actually... And you were I, still in college at the time? I, actually, yeah. So I, when I came back from Cal Poly, credit cards was still pretty young. I mean, we're talking about like 99. So like credit cards was still kind of like, still kind of a new thing. There wasn't like everyone wasn't taking credit cards at the time. So yeah, you know, I've been in that business for... Or forever it feels like um but you know so i didn't know what i was doing i came and ran a sales office for some gentleman he had a little operation um you know he had some telemarketers and we would go out on these sales calls and then we'd cold call on the businesses around it and uh you know but i got really good at it i started running the sales office and then i saw how much money this guy was making and then i quit the next day and, and tried to do it on my own <laughs> you saw you saw the the path to profit and you're like I'm pretty much doing all this, right? When you're in a sales position and you see that, you know, sales is the lifeblood of any business and you're the one who knew how to do it. Was that what gave you that confidence of stepping out and yeah, going out? I mean, because, you know, the servicing capabilities of it, once you, credit cards is like, once you set it up, it's like that old infomercial, set it and forget it. Yeah. Kind of, you set it up and then the residual income just starts going, right? So you can go on to the next one and go on to the next one. So you know, my ability to go out there and just keep on producing um, ended up, you know, allowing me to build a big portfolio. And um, but that's really what all it was is just sales. Um, you know, is the old Wild West credit cards. You know, it's not like that today. You can't walk into a shop and cold cold call and <laughs> and close a business. Um, people are not very receptive to that these days. But back yeah. in the '90s, it was still a thing. You know, so let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. 
These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales, and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. So you did that, you rolled out kind of your, was that your first kind of entrepreneurial endeavor where you went and set up an entity and you started hiring employees or what, what did that kind of evolution of, Hey, I think I can do this. I see how much money this dude's making. You have the confidence to take the leap. What did, what did, what transpired after that? Yeah. So I, what had happened is, um, I realized that I didn't want to do these onesie twosies. I needed to figure out a way to partner to be able to work smarter. And I got a big bank relationship when I was about 23 years old. And then I got, at, at that time, um, gas stations was a pretty hot commodity. And this particular gas station, serve, they did loans for all these gas stations and hotels in San Francisco. And so I solidified a relationship with them. And then boom, I got like 23 gas stations uh, producing tons of business. That ended up uh, introducing me to the head of this hotel association. I grabbed that hotel association and then built it into really a hotel empire. I was really, uh, I had thousands of hotels and between the ages of like 26 and 32, I traveled around the country and signed up thousands of hotels and built a huge uh, portfolio. But it all kind of started from a cold call on a gas station uh, back in Morgan Hill. So <laughs> talk about that. I'm curious about yeah. it. I always look love kind of hearing people look back inside of like, it was that one, you know, opportunity or conversation or contract that like set my business on fire. Like what, what did, what was that for you? Yeah. So, um, so I didn't know nothing. I didn't even know that we couldn't service Chevrons. So I actually cold called on a Chevron and the manager was nice enough to be like, Hey, you know what? Um, you can't work with us, but we're opening up a new station in San Francisco. And he said, I'd love for you to meet this owner. His name's John and John will love you. And I was like, okay, great. Um, so I talked to John and John's like, listen, uh, I like you. I like your hustle. You know, you're, you're going out there and getting it. Um, I'd like you to meet me at the new station that I'm going to open up in San Francisco. And I'm going to, I'm going to introduce you to uh, a partner of a lifetime. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. Like, I don't, and I go up to San Francisco and it's the largest, it's this, plot of land, basically. It's right in front of the San Francisco airport. Um, it's called Millbury Marketing Gas now. It's uh, it's like an 18-pump station, car wash, the whole thing, in and out. But back then, it was dirt. And I met the, the him and the banker. I ended up getting that deal. And then that's what solidified that, um, that bank relationship. So I met the bank. And then the next time, I went up there and pitched to the CEO of the bank cultivated a relationship there, then turned that into, you know, tons of hotels and, and gas stations. And that turned into a hotel association. 
um, which really kind of just, it was like one thing after another, but they're all, all these dots connected because all those hotel and all those hotels that I signed up, those ended up being my investors in my, um, my technology company. So like, it was all hotel years, probably like 200 hotel years, put in about $30 million. Um, but it was all because of like these stepping stones all connected. It's kind of wild. Crazy. So what, <laughs> what was your kind of lesson and takeaway looking back that you would share with other people from that one experience? I mean, so to not be scared to, to not, cause like, so when I got that hotel association, first of all, I had two hotels at the time, two. And they were like, come in, uh, come and get this hotel association. And I'm like, well, I've done a couple. I could probably do more. I'm sure. Like, but I walk into that. This is kind of a little story, but I walk into, they asked me to go to this board meeting for this hotel board meeting. I had to fly to South Padre Island. Um, now I only had one suit to my name and I, I go out there, this little white guy come into this room. It's, all, it's this massive Hilton. I walk into this Hilton and I peek around the corner and there's 80 hoteliers in there, 80 of them. And they're all in suits. They're all Indian and they all have their arms crossed. And I'm like this white guy, I got the spiky hair and, um, you know, and I like was so nervous that um, I had go down to the bathroom and, and throw up because I was like, I was so nervous. I was like, oh my God, these guys are going to eat me alive. I don't even know what I'm doing. Right. So I walk into this horseshoe and, um, you know, I start going, I'm like going to the PowerPoint, like blah, blah, blah. I catch my groove. And this guy's like, how many hotels do you have? Like literally like while I'm giving my speech and like my back end, my back end platform, we had done tons of these. Like I hadn't personally, but I was like thousands, like without skipping a beat. And then that ended up like he just showed up and then I closed that deal. And, uh, but that was because, like, but if I would have said, Hey, I can't do this. I only have two hotels. Like that would have stopped that whole thing in its track. So I think the one thing that I learned is that, you know, just go for it. You know, it's like, what do I have to lose at the end of the day? Like, if I don't get it, I, I, there's nothing lost. Right. But if I do get it, it, there's like, there's a huge opportunity. And I, and I took that and ran with it. That's the, <laughs> that's the door that got opened and you, and you walked through it. And obviously oh, yeah. what, what transpired after that? Like what, what did that? Cause I think a lot of people dream desire of kind of hitting that inflection point of like the hockey stick. Right. <laughs> but most businesses never really get there. Yeah. Like, how did you handle that and and capitalize on that, knowing that you just locked in what seemed to be what you said, the deal or, you know, relationship of a lifetime? Well, I told my wife at the time, I was like, this is going to change your life. And she was like, get out of here. No one. But I, you know, it ended up, it really did. I mean, but I was still a one man show, you know, and I was doing all these thousands of hotels by myself, you know? So um, I think, you know, that inflection point, really what I realized uh, once I had thousands of hotels on the platform, we were making lots of money, but every single year they were calling me and then going, Hey, um, I need to lower my rates. Hey, I need to lower my rates. And so I realized that I was just a commodity and there was like no loyalty, right? They were going to switch at the flip of a hat, you know? So I realized that I had to start building value in the ecosystem. So that's what I realized. I was like, okay, now I have all these clients. Now I have to keep them here and add more value. So that way, every single year, they're not asking me to lower their fees and I can actually make more money, not actually less money every year, right? Because you have all these clients, but you're just making less, less, less as a race to zero. So that's when I started building technology in 2014. And, and that started a whole nother chapter of the saga. And what, what, what did that look like? <laughs> well, I had no tech experience. I just had 
I have lots of ideas. <laughs> so, and I'm not. So you're a visionary story. type of yeah, profile, totally. right? Totally. I'm a total visionary, um, but I had no idea how I was going to do it. And so I, but I had made a lot of money. So I had money to invest because uh, no one else was going to invest in because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I was like, well, I hired some engineers from India. Uh, $200,000 and nine months later, I had fucking nothing. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, show me how this works. Like no documentation. I, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, yeah. I learned a lot of rough lessons. I gotta say that, but you know, but I'm a, I'm a savage and I just keep going. So I think that's the thing is like, I never, I never think twice about it. I just go, you know, so, um, you know, but you know, I, I ended up powering through that, raising a lot more money and building real product and real business and, uh, real value. And, you know, ended up being able to grow that into a pretty big enterprise, but it took a, took like seven, eight years to do that. Well, so what, what would you say was at, at that time, the best skill set that served you as still was relatively an early stage entrepreneur and business owner? Um, that I was a great salesman. So like I could, you know, um, I was able to sell the dream, you know, and I think I did a good job of selling the dream. Um, and then when we had lots of employees, I think one of the biggest things when you start growing a company and you do all these things is you have to keep people on the bus, you know, because people, it's hard to keep people on the bus when everything's going wrong all the time, when you're trying to build and you're failing all the time, it's like, it's, it's kind of like, it's depressing a little bit, you know, it's like, when am I going to win finally? And you see all these stories in the news and you start comparing yourself to all these other companies. But, you know, so I think that's the toughest part is, uh, you know, but keeping people on the bus. That was my, that was my biggest, uh, eh, that was my biggest, uh, you know, positive attribute that, you know, kept me alive and kept and us that alive. just continuously selling people on the vision or were you doing? Well, no, I mean, there comes a certain point where you, where you have to deliver, right? Yeah. You know, sure. it's like, but so, you know, as long as you're making progress and, you know, you're actually doing what you need to do to get there. I mean, it's impossible to, one thing that I do learn about building technologies, no matter how like short of a roadmap you think it's going to take, it's always takes like twice as long. So, you know, it's, uh, it's tough to, promise things and not be able to deliver but um you know eventually you know we did deliver and you know but just took a long time to get there but now i know when to keep my mouth shut and uh when to actually sell the dream you know i don't have to sell it as hard anymore i think i tried real hard the first time um and uh you know but that caused me some anxiety just because i put my put my foot in my mouth a lot so a lot a lot of people until they get into certain stages of their entrepreneurial and business journey, and some never reach these levels, learn how there are certain skill sets necessary to being a real business owner, a real leader. What would you say your evolution looked like in terms of what was most natural to you as a real business owner running a real business? And what were some of the areas that you really had to stretch and challenge yourself and to get to that next tier of leadership? Sure. Um, you know, I think people, it's, it's being a good CEO is something that you learn. You know, it's, I don't think anyone comes into the CEO role and, and with hundreds of employees and is like, oh, I mastered this. It's like, you know, I was really good at doing me. Like, you know, I built this whole entire hotel empire just me, right? So I knew how to do all the things. Everything was up here, right? So translating this 
into other people was the most difficult task for me. And I sucked at it. I was really bad at it. Um, you know, and uh, so I think that's where I struggled the most. Um, but that's what I learned um, when I started all these new ventures is I knew exactly what not to do, how to actually translate the vision so people understand it um, and how to get everything out of my brain. Because at the end of the day, if you can't actually build the process, then you can't scale, right? Um, and, you know, I was a one-man show for so long that, you know, translating that to hundreds of employees was really tough, honestly. It was a, it was a tough, tough, tough learning lesson. Um, you know, we lost some good people, um, you know, but we, we kept a lot of good ones. But, you know, that's the nature of the beast. You know, learning lessons is, is part of the deal. I, I don't think anyone's really born with that natural capability to just manage hundreds of people. Some people are, I guess, but that just wasn't mine. Uh, my natural. What do you think is the biggest lesson you learned that could be avoided by knowing what you know now? Um, well, I think if you're building, I mean, there's, there's so many different lessons, but you know, the biggest one is building process. The foundation is so important. You know, you think about, um, when you're a small company, you think, Oh, mission, I don't need that vision. I don't need this. I don't need the you know the value right. i don't need yeah. this i don't need all this infrastructure well you don't when it's just you um you know but when you're trying to duplicate a process and you're trying to scale a big company process is everything um if you don't have process you're dead um and that's just facts like you can be a one-man show you might be able to be a five to ten person company uh, but you'll never have 100 employees and have success at scale if there's no process and that was the that was the biggest, that was the biggest thing, learning how to build process and um, take steps back instead of take steps forward. Yeah. And that's hard for, for entrepreneurs that just are thinking forward, want to move fast, want to make yeah. a sale. But like you said, right, you, you max out at some point and shit breaks. Yeah. You can't duplicate it. You can't scale. You can't plug other bodies into it. Mm -hmm. And so what, what, what did that look like for you? Because I hear this from a lot of people. I personally... Uh, opt in and buy into that same thing. It wasn't, we weren't allowed to buy the second and I wasn't allowed to scale the third hotel and, and the fourth without the processes that we have in place. Yeah. So I know what it's looked like for me. I'm curious for you, what, what, is, what do you say to the person that's like, I'm not a detail person. I'm not a process person. I'm a sales person, yeah. right? Which I think we can both relate to, but sure. we know what is a part of the success equation the ingredients are the ingredients so what what did that process building plan look like for you as you started to really see scale and you know growth in the company are you interested in boosting your income by an extra fifty thousand dollars this year if so you're going to love what i've got in store for you i am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part 
of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. Yeah, so... Um... I think the biggest thing for us was, you know, even boarding on onboarding new clients and then managing those relationships and then making sure that those clients were happy. Um, just there was a lot of broken pieces of that puzzle. In the first time that we actually went to market, we had so much traffic, but we just couldn't capitalize on all the new applications because our process was shit, right? So we were only capable of doing this. Uh, like we had a slow, broken process. And it was, it was, it's okay if you had like 20 or 30 deals, but if you're trying to do like hundreds, um, it just didn't work. And then, you know, because everyone's scrambling to try to get these new apps in, nobody's looking at the back end. So nobody's managing the clients and making sure that they're happy, that they're up and going. So it was, uh, once we threw $60,000 in marketing and we, um, got bombarded, we realized how broken we were. Yeah, is what we found out real quick, and and it ended up wasting wasting capital, right? If you throw sixty thousand dollars on it, and you get all these new fresh opportunities, and you can't capitalize, this this burned, it's gone, you know. So yeah, you waste money, you know, and you eventually will slow die a slow death because you'll run out capital if you don't get the process right. I was going to say, what are some of your kind of business philosophies? that are part of the values of your organization that is part of your daily mindset that has really served you guys and i mean you've built a big company and and for those that maybe don't understand are you open to sharing whether it's employee size or revenue or valuation numbers what does that all look like sure no i mean we built the company to close to just on shy of a billion uh dollar valuation and you know we do billions in processing um and uh Wait, there was a question. I was I was thinking about the question. Yeah, I think just more so around, you know, what have been some of the best business philosophies and values that you feel have been foundational to, I mean, not too many people on planet Earth get to say they've built a company of that value, right? And obviously, yeah. there's success uh, clues in there that I think, you know, even for the people that are listening right now that are maybe thinking about it, a business idea or aspiring to grow their company to those levels, what has served you guys in terms of your vision, your values that have kind of been trickled down into the organization? Yeah. So, um, for me, the first time, um, you know, it was all about the money. So like, this doesn't serve me well, uh, obviously this is why uh, it took so long and we made so many mistakes and we lost a lot of good people is because I was so focused on this one thing. Um, and I wasn't focused on helping the clients as, as, as much as I was focused on becoming this billion dollar unicorn. I was so yeah. 
um, consumed with this, right? It was like my whole thing. And, and just to, on your point is like, you hear about all these companies that are doing getting billion dollar valuations. There's less than like 300 ever in the United States that have billion dollar valuations, like ever in the whole history of companies. So like, it's super rare, but it's hard not to compare yourself because you hear it all the time. Like it's mm-hmm. all the time, right? But it's just not real. It's like once in these, they're not all the time. And the guys that actually had billion dollar valuations a year ago or two years ago, some of those guys are out of business. You know what I mean? Crazy. So like, you know, and a lot of it's just paper. They didn't actually make any money. It was just an idea, you know? Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think this time around, I'm more concentrated on the helping people. And like for wishes, as an example, our first, so I have a, I have a B, big B tattooed on my right forearm for billion because I was so obsessed with it. <laughs> like, really? You were B like, you were all yeah, in, see, like I got the 2.0. So this is B 2.0 right here. Right. So I did the 2.0 is because we want to help a billion people. Right. And that's nice. the, uh, that's the message on this new one. And it's uh, serving us well. Like we have a great culture. Um, you know, everyone's motivated by the same thing and everyone's thinking the same way and thinking the same way. And I think, um, all the rough lessons that I learned the first time around building that company um, and what we're applying here um, is really, it's night and day comparatively to like how fast we're progressing, like, uh, um, and just how everyone's so focused on the same things. And it's not challenging. Like I felt like I was um, like, you know, trying to scrape off dry wallpaper, you know, on the last company, everything was so challenging, you know, it was like just really grueling, you know? Um, and I had to, I felt like I was forcing everything, you know, here it just feels super natural because we're doing everything the right way. And I think that's the difference is, you know, when you're focused on the right things, um, you know, helping people truly making a difference, um, trying to make an impact, whether that's in whatever business you're in, you know, serving those clients and, uh, taking care of them. That's what's most important. Um, you know, and if you're focused on those things, then you, you'll win and it'll, it'll be a shorter timetable for you to get there. So talk about wishes real fast. Mm-hmm. What are you guys doing there? And that model of kind of it's different, and I and I love it, right? And mm-hmm. and and it feels like it's got not only the ability to serve a billion people, but yeah. the ability to make a billion dollars as well. So oh yeah, you might be hitting that B two point real nice. <laughs> That's the idea, right? So the model is actually super. It's a super lucrative model, but on the surface. If you just comparing it to GoFundMe, because that's what's in the market there, the 800 pound gorilla. But the problem with GoFundMe is that when you donate to a story and you resonate with the story, you want to help somebody, you don't know what happens to the money afterwards. In fact, there's lots of scams that happen on GoFundMe because of that. And mm-hmm. even in the charitable giving space, there seems to be every single year about like 15 catastrophes that happen every year. You got hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, yeah. all this stuff. And you want to help these people, right? There was a fake red cross that was set up when Hurricane Katrina happened. There was a fake red cross and there was like $10 million that was scammed wow. before people even realized that they were giving to a fake organization, right? Uh, but that's because you don't know what happens to the money. So the, one of the biggest problems that we're solving, the core problem that we're solving is we're making donations transparent. So if you resonate with a story on wishes, um, we call them wishers and donors, right? A donor can donate to a story. And we issue virtual MasterCards on the backside of the transaction, and we attach those to the resources and support that that person's requested. So if they say, hey, I need to get my son back and forth to school, um, okay, great. Like People can support that story, and then we issue a card and we'll attach it to Lyft or Uber, right? Um, Or, hey, I need groceries, we'll attach it to Instagram. 
cart, right? But in the donor and the wisher, you have full access to see how that money is being spent. You can see when it's spent, how it's spent. Um, and that gives builds trust and transparency brings trust to the equation, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what's missing inside of the crowdfunding and charitable giving space. But not only that, um, that's the cool factor, but the cool factor really is the rewards that we're giving to the donors for uh, contributing to a story. So using the GoFundMe example again, uh, because GoFundMe is a for-profit company and you're donating to individuals, you don't get a tax deduction or charitable tax uh, write-off for any donation that you do on their platform. We have a very unique structure where we have a 501c public charity on top when we have a bunch of corporations that are owned by the by the charity. And each of those corporations is specifically categorized for the bonus categories on anyone's credit card, whether you have an American Express, Visa, MasterCard. People bonus on categories like groceries, hotel, airfare. Yeah. You can actually hit those bonus categories in the front end and actually get the tax deduction and actually the cards are issued specifically for that resources support. So if someone needs to fly to Puerto Rico because it was a hurricane, you can actually help someone with a ticket and we can put them on a plane on the back end and buy that airline ticket for them. Um, so everything, there's an audit trail to everything um, and the donors uh, get the tax write-off in addition to earning five to 10 times rewards on their own credit card spend. It's so, amazing. I cool. love that. It's, it's such a cool kind of, it, it just checks all the boxes of contribution and impact. It's got a sexy, you know, financial model behind it. It's very scalable, obviously, with the tech that you guys got engaged. How are you How are you attacking building this differently than you have with previous businesses? Um, yeah, so there's there's two kind of strategies that we're, we're going after. Kind of almost like not in the partnership model, but if you think about shopping carts, e-commerce websites, marketplaces. Yep. We're we're the we're the validation factor for a lot of these guys will use charities as a way to get business in the door. It's like, hey, we're gonna give to the melanoma foundation or whatever. We actually are gonna be the validation for all these shopping carts. So wishes um will be kind of like a we're a shopping cart plugin for Shopify, WooCommerce, and Big Commerce. Yep. So e-commerce stores can round up. Um yep. they can round up to a charity, and we're basically that roundup mechanism and we're the validation to make sure that all those funds go directly to the charity or, you know, the people that they're supporting. So really that's good. part of it. And then the other one is just competing head to head with the GoFundMe model um, through, you know, mark traditional marketing methods and influencers and those types of things. And is it, this is a kind of build to sell business plan? Yes. So um, GoFundMe wants to be the inner pound gorilla, but they'd have to change their whole entire corporation structure globally to actually go compete with me, which they're not going to do. It's easier for them to just yep. acquire me. So I'm building this to sell to one client. Uh, I love. They're it. the ones that can write the check. They certainly will, um, yep. because we'll we're going to take a bite out of their business, and um, you know they'll have to change their whole entire operation globally to to try to compete. So it's just easier to buy me. Is there uh, is there a magic number for you that you have on the horizon, or are you kind of just taking it in stride? Um, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd like to, you know. If once we get the billion dollar number in our eyesights, then that's when, when I'll exit. I'm thinking that we can do it in uh two years, yeah. So, two years that's insane. <laughs> well, we've already kind of built all the things, and then now it's just you know putting some capital behind us to get in the market. I mean, the model is is um 
it's really good and people resonate with it. They, they understand it. I mean, and they, they see the problems. I mean, everyone wants to feel the impact of their donation. Like, for sure. Great. Like if I knew I would like, what happens to the money? Where's them going? Then uh, there's a lot of charities out there that have a lot of overhead, right? They have building costs, all these things. So you don't know if they, if you're donating a thousand bucks, like, is it going to help someone or yeah. is it going to a building? You know, who knows? Right. So but now you know. As you continue to have massive financial success, let's assume you're going to crush it, hit that B-boy in, you know, two years time. Like, what, what is it that continues to drive you? What is your psychology around growth, personal fulfillment? Obviously, you know, you've got the money box checked. What is, what is that future look like for you? And what is it that's driving you? I mean, I'm a creator, right? So like, there's always uh, going to be something new. And now I'll never be able to sit still. So for me, it's not the money. I mean, I just, all I want is the ability to just do whatever I want when I want. And, you know, when I have that capability, like, you know, having X amount of, of money in the bank or whatever, doesn't really matter to me. It's more about being able to do what I want when I want. I live a pretty simple life, um, but just I'm a creator, you know, like, I think what keeps me going is new things, right? So that's why I have to have a two-year exit too, because like doing anything longer. Well, if it was like eight years, man, I was like, you're like, oh, get out of here. <laughs> like, oh yeah, it's like too long, man. So, you know. So what what are you spending your money on right now? Um, I'm spending my money on basically building this new um, platform um, and kind of just, uh, you know, I'm pretty simple. I don't spend that much money. Oh, it's so like an investment. I'm, Donate. I do like on the in the crypto space. I'm pretty heavy into uh, a lot of cryptocurrency. I've been doing that for a very long time. Um, and how was that kind of hand out for you in terms of the overall macro timeline you've been in it for? Well, you know, I look at any investments that I do, whether that's you know, uh, you know, in the stock market or in cryptocurrency. It's something that I believe in long term. So I'm not a day trader, um, and I don't pretend to be. So. Like I look at the long-term play, like the crypto market, it's kind of like, it's all over the place. Like if you were to sit there and try to day trade, I might like, I might kill myself. Like, seriously, I can't do it. So, you know, so to me, it's more like, Hey, it goes up, down, up, down, up, down in the next five, six years, this is where I think it's going to be. So, you know, I don't look at it uh, because if I did, my hair would all be gray. So I just, it's something that I believe in long-term, like it's easy to bet on, uh, Amazon, right? It's easy to bet on Amazon because I just know that no matter what, they're going to keep getting bigger. It's like, it's an easy bet, right? So um, in the stock market, I try to bet on things that I believe in and I use. Yep. Um, I'm using it. Um, and I think that's a great product. Then I'll, I'll bet on that, you know? Um, so you're a long-term investor. You're not necessarily getting in, getting out of the market. Yeah. Most of your, uh, what would you say kind of your your pie chart of of assets and wealth is going and allocated toward the business stocks, real estate, crypto, what is kind of your. Yeah. I'm fairly risky. So like I, um, I'll bet like on a lot of like, so there's startups and things like that, that I'll believe in that I think I can contribute to. And I, so I have a lot of investments into uh, startup companies. Then I also, uh, the crypto holdings is pretty significant. Um, That's a big, huge chunk of it. And just, and as a payments guy, I just believe in the long term. That's where everything's going. Like, and uh, you know, now it's just a great time to get in because I think you know later 
you know, you almost miss the boat a little bit. It's like buying Amazon at like two bucks when it's like 3000 or whatever now. So, yeah, you know, so um, that, that's kind of the, you know, and the, all the rest of it, I just, I just kind of parlay it into opportunities that come my way. So there's always, I, I did a lot of secondary market share investing too. Like, so we did pre-IPO for Facebook, Lyft, uh, like a bunch of other companies where we just do, do chunks of money into a pre-IPO that we think is going to hit yep. be hitters. And yep. luckily, luckily for me, they all kind of worked out, you know, um, you know, and I've done pretty Pre, well pre-IPOs are, I don't want to say they're tough to lose at. Well, that's not true. So like the Facebook <laughs> one, so like I basically, and I worked these contracts pretty magically. So we got like a bunch of investors and then I cut myself into shares. So I got like 5,000 shares of Facebook for free nice. when I did this. Cause, stuff. You, Cause you kind of pulled in and brought some other capital. Yeah, exactly. I pulled in yeah. like nine mil. Like, and then we, I'm doing that on one right now on uh, on a pre IPO for a green coffee company. My buddy said on that company. Okay, cool. So similar. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, they're, 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 once you've done one of these, they're all the same kind of, you know, yeah. so you're buying it from a previous shareholder or whatever that wants to get out and cash his chips in. So, um, but yeah, Facebook, what, like, <laughs> everyone's like, dude, what the fuck, Chase? Like, you got me into this Facebook thing. And I was like, it'll be there long term, I swear to God, you know, but it went to like, what, it went down to like 13 bucks. And then, and then finally, like a year and a half later, like started spitting out into the hundreds, but like everyone was giving me shit forever on that one until it finally started turning around so you never i mean never know like but again long term right i knew facebook was going to win eventually but yep. like definitely didn't happen overnight for sure yeah you only lose when you sell man you lose, <laughs> that's you lose that's right. cash in. exactly that's exactly. that's the psychological challenge for most people right is they're just not playing long term you sure. know wealth is made in the crock pot not the microwave so you really got to give it the time it needs for all those ingredients to kind of fuse together to create that, that dish of wealth that you're looking for. That's true. What's something that you spent money on along the way that early on thought would bring you a lot of value or joy that really was somewhat empty? Um, watches. <laughs> so I got a lot of watches, you know, um, uh, the only watches that hold their value are like Rolexes. That's pretty much it. And I learned that the hard way about very expensive Breitlings and Hublots and um, super empty because when you realize like how much the resale value is um, later, it's like you buy it for 30,000, people are offering you 10 grand. You know, you're like, dude, what in the world? So, like, um, <laughs> I was pretty empty. I had a huge watch collection, you know, but I felt like a big idiot later because uh, they were not worth what I paid for them. The only ones that were worth anything were the Rolexes. I mean, not anything, but like these guys. Terrible, terrible investment. Watch it. What, what's been uh, on the other side? What's been something you put money into that has just over exceeded your expectations and you're glad you put money into it? Yeah. So um, I basically did. So there was a startup. Um, well, I did this big deal, this uh, payments deal. And then uh, these guys were looking for capital. And he was a ex-founder of another company. And I was like, listen, I'll invest in this company. But you give me founder shares of this other company because it was already valued at like half a billion, right? And he gave me founder shares at uh, at the fifty million dollar valuation, and I put I put fifty thousand dollars in, right, of that one, and I put fifteen fifty, and ended up putting like three hundred total and all these things. But fifty thousand dollars, they went into a SPAC deal and got acquired for, for a billion, right? 
And on the on the NASDAQ, and that 50,000 was worth like 2.5 million, dude. <laughs> Baller. Yeah, dude. So tight. And okay, so talk about that, right? Because like yeah. sometimes people, you just get lucky. That but, was luck. I mean, but you weren't necessarily lucky because you took the risk and you got involved in some capacity, right? So like, yeah. Well, <sighs> go ahead. If I would have done, if I would have just invested in the the new one, that would have been way more risky. But I was like, listen, I'll invest in this one, but give me of this one that's already kind of a lock, right? And but we didn't know how much it was going to scale. But at that time, it was worth. Morgan Stanley had valued it at about like half a billion and it was still private, right? Um, but I was able to lock in shares at fifty at a $50 million valuation. I was like, give me the founder shares, got founder shares. And then boom, they got acquired on a SPAC on the NASDAQ. And just like last January, and um, it was uh, they, when they went live on the NASDAQ, it was a $1.1 billion valuation. <laughs> so, Crazy. I was like, yes, that's, that's silly money right there. But that's, that's the beauty of, I mean, that's cool. I, I, uh, I mean, I, I tell people I'm just dumb enough to believe in myself and, and smart enough to take action on what I believe in. Totally. And I mean, half of my, you know, net worth has been just by being an idiot and getting involved and taking a risk and, and it working out in my favor, right? Like the, I think I bought my first two rentals in Sacramento for like 70 grand. I still, own those two rentals and they're worth like 500 now and it's like i didn't do i wasn't smart i didn't do anything to make that timing is part of it you know big time and then being able to just capitalize on those opportunities when they come in front of your face you know because lots of people will be like i can't do it it's like ah i just i just i'm well forgive my face but i'm balls deep on all this stuff man i'm just like go you know what i mean like i'll i'll sacrifice short term um for what i believe in you know yeah, uh, I'll take I'll take uh, I'll take the heat. I love it. So talking about sacrifice, obviously a lot of sacrifice goes into success. Um, I know you talked about your son and how important he is to you. How do you balance the sacrifices that go into building a billion dollar business, going after your goals, you know, achieving the vision that you have in your mind without sacrificing? the time and the moments and the, you know, importance of being a present father. Sure. Um, me and my son have a super, super close relationship. Um, when I moved the business over to Nevada, um, you know, I was basically in Nevada and I hadn't gone like a few weeks without seeing him, but I was out there for months and it was like breaking my heart, you know, like I, it was like really emotional for me. Yeah. But I like, I hadn't seen him for, um, you know, three months. And then I flew him out to see me and he got off the plane and he just like saw me and he started crying. And I was like, Oh my God, like broke my heart, you know? So like, um, you know, that was tough. Uh, that was tough for me. Um, and you know, I'm not the greatest at balancing. I was terrible at it. You know, it's like, um, I kept telling myself, um, that, Oh, it's just for this time period. It's just for this time period. Yeah. That time period just like never ends. Dude. You know right. I mean? So like, you do have to take that time eventually. Like I just like shit, you know, um, because I just felt like I was missing his life, you know? So when I came, uh, when I, uh, when I got a place back down here in Los Gatos and go back and forth, I've now was coaching his football team. I'm just making up for lost time. Now I just like never leave aside, but I'm like, oh, now I'm overdoing it. I'm like, <laughs> I need a life. <laughs> yeah. But so like, I'm like all in like too much extreme, extreme. You know? So I was like, <laughs> both ways 
you know, so like I'm the worst at that shit. I, I like I'm I'm either, you know, I'm too much, too little. Like, you know, I, I feel like there's a happy meeting somewhere. Like one day I'll figure, figure out what that is. Uh, Maybe I'm, I'm like the worst guy to, to ask for that kind of stuff. Like I just never No, I, I and I appreciate the transparency because, you know, I, I don't think there is a, a right answer here. Right. Like I'm always just um, some people are like, I fucking suck at it, man. I need to spend more time with my kids. Right. And other people are like, oh no, I, you know, probably should be working more or, and I think it all, like you said, depends on the season of life, what you're working sure. on, where the kids are at, you know, where your relationships are at, but it's always, you know, interesting to get different perspectives on what people are seeing and feeling in their own life. Cause sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll flat out just say like, I need to spend more quality time with the people that I care about. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, that comes with the price of taking the, some of the people that I've interviewed that are billionaires or are, you know, yeah. deck millionaires. Oftentimes it comes at a price, right? Of like being so overly obsessed with what you're doing, what you're building, what problem you're solving that there's carnage, you know, sometimes yeah. behind that trail. But I think it's the people who are most aware try and be as cognizant of what that impact is and has on the other people around them. And yeah. um, they either live with it, right. Or they don't, but it's always uh, interesting to see how people model in balance into their life with going after some big shit. Like you're going after, you know, if you're not obsessed, like um, just, it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? You all honestly, like have to be obsessed to, to make stuff happen on a big scale. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, there's a time and place and, you know, there's gotta be a point where you're like, you draw back, you know, the curtain a little bit and figure out like what's most important. Um, but because honestly, like it's easy to keep telling, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. That shit will go on forever. You know? Yeah. So, you know, you have to have an idea of what success actually looks like, you know, which is what I, I never really had that in my mind. I was just never there. You know? Yeah. If you're, uh, if your son listened to this podcast, in five or 10 years, what's, what's something that you would want him to, to know as you're building what you're building? Um, you know, that I'm doing it all for him. I want him to be proud of, of me and I want him to be proud of what I accomplished and that anything's possible and to never give up on your dreams, you know, no matter how fucked up shit gets, um, that just, as long as you believe in yourself, anything's possible. And I think that's the message is, you know, you're capable of anything as long as you don't give up. Mm, I love that. Speaking of how fucked up shit is right now, what are your thoughts on where we're heading over the next 12 months? And, you know, what are you kind of doing on the personal side to, you know, protect what you've built? And, and what are you, you know, thinking about and, you know, maybe getting a little bit excited about of what opportunities might be out there? Well, so, I mean, this is, again, I think, uh, you know, this kind of environment breeds uh, opportunity for the right for the right things, and that's why I think um, wishes is a great uh, platform for that because the haves and the haves nots, the gaps going to continue to widen um, and it's going to get worse because the people that have money are going to be okay during this recession, but the people that don't uh, are going to be really struggling and with inflation and all these things and twenty twenty three going down this shit uh, is going to be tough on a lot of people. So I feel like. There is an opportunity uh, for a platform like ours to really help a lot of people. And there's going to be more people that need to help. So I think platforms that um, are able to kind of speak to that um, in, in different ways, um, you know, 
just like in 2008, like Venmo was created in 2008, you know, and like, boom, you know, um, you know, it's just kind of this, this market, it breeds opportunity, but it also breeds like a lot of, uh, you know, terrible shit too. So, yeah, uh, you know, I'm excited about what, what we're doing because it's, you know, I just think that there's going to be a lot more people that need help. So, um, you know, right place, right time and right product. And, um, you know, just focus on the mission and, and, uh, and everything else will take care of itself. Well, Chase, brother, it's been a pleasure getting some time with you today, man. I mean, your story is crazy, inspiring, and the work that you're doing is absolutely impactful. And I'm excited to see what you guys continue to roll out. I'm going to be, be uh, keeping tabs on that that Billy valuation. and in, in right, 2.0, baby. 2.0. I love it. <laughs> and uh, for those that want to follow along on the journey, they want to check out you know, all the great stuff that you've built, where's the best place for them to connect with you and your content? Yeah, I mean the best place uh, that I'm, I'm on on uh, LinkedIn, uh, social media, or Twitter. Um, you know those places you can always uh, find me in. Um, you know profitpay.com or wishes.inc. Come check it out. We are launching uh, at the end of uh, November, so right around the corner. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Absolutely, thank you. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to therichlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info and how you can connect with us live in person, all kinds of great valuable tools you can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always want to know, who do you guys want to hear me interview next? Let me know. Shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friend. <laughs>